Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity now to hear your word. We ask that you would speak to us, that the words that come out of my mouth will match what you are saying to us, and that you, through the power of your Holy Spirit, will cause us to hear what you would have us hear. Please be glorified in this time, and may the name of Jesus be lifted up. Amen. Well, in my last few messages, uh, we were in the period of the judges, which included the last time uh, I, I gave a message when we were in the book of Ruth, which took place at the, probably at the beginning of the period of the judges. We're now in Samuel, we're first Samuel, and it takes place at the end of the period of the judges. Our message today will cover the period from chapter 1 when Eli, who is also the high priest, he's based in Shiloh, which had become the center of worship for Israel, when Eli was the judge, and will go up until chapter 7 when Samuel, who ultimately anoints the first two kings of Israel, becomes, he, he is actually the last of the judges. Chapter 1 begins with a wonderful story about the birth of Samuel and a very touching account of the heart and faithfulness of Samuel's mother, Hannah. Chapter 1 concludes with Hannah dedicating Samuel to the service of Yahweh by, by, by presenting him to Eli, the high priest, who, who ultimately will basically raise him. This is followed at the beginning of chapter 2 with a long prayer by Hannah that is filled with statements about God's faithfulness and holiness and his character. Yet, consistent with the time of the judges, things were a mess in Israel. A fundamental problem during the time of the judges, and truthfully, it's a problem we face today, is the pervasiveness of significant misunderstandings about God. Today we are going to look at some examples of misunderstandings about God from the first seven chapters of Samuel with the hope that we can avoid making some of those mistakes and having those misunderstandings. We will end the message today by addressing the best way for us to correctly understand God. We begin with Eli and his sons, and I'll be reading from chapter 2, beginning at verse 12. Hear the word of the Lord. Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. The custom of the priests with the people was that when any man offered sacrifice, the priest's servants would come while the meat was boiling with a three-pronged fork in his hand, and he would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. All that the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. This is what they did at Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Moreover, before the fat was burned... The priest's servants would come and say to the man who was offering sacrifice, Give meat for the priest to roast, for he will not accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. And if the man said to him, 
let them burn the fat first and then take as much as you wish. He would say, no, you must give it now. And if not, I will take it by force. Thus, the sin of the young men was very great in the sight of the Lord. For the men treated the offerings of the Lord with contempt. Now, please skip down to verse 22. Now, Eli was very old, and he kept hearing all that his sons were doing to all Israel, and how they lay with the women who were serving at the entrance to the tent of meeting. And he said to them, Why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings with all these people. No, my sons, it is not good report that I hear the people of the Lord spreading abroad. If someone sins against a man, God will mediate for him. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? But they would not listen to the voice of their father, for it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. Now the boy Samuel continued to grow both in statue and in favor with the Lord also, and also with man. And there came a man of God to Eli and said to him, Thus says the Lord, did I indeed reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt, subject to the house of Pharaoh? Did I choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go up to my altar, to burn incense, to wear an ephod before me? I gave to the house of your father all my offerings by fire from the people of Israel. Why then do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I command for my dwelling? And honor your sons above me by fattening yourselves on the choicest parts of every offering of my people. Therefore, the Lord, the God of Israel declares, I promise that your house and the house of your father should go in and out before me forever. But now the Lord declares, far be it from me, for those who honor me, I will honor and those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Eli's son's misunderstanding of God is pretty clear. They, they simply did not fear God or think that what God expected mattered. In many ways, they are the epitome of what Romans 1 says is the universal sin of humankind, that we refuse to honor God as God or give him thanks. These two sons of Eli were beyond reprobate. God had been very specific on how sacrifices were to be offered, even giving the priests a special and blessed portion and, and position in the system. The people bringing the offerings were even aware of these guidelines and were deeply bothered by the actions of Eli's sons who were fundamentally mocking God and treating the offerings as their personal smorgasbord, entirely ignoring the point of the sacrificial system, which was for people to understand the consequences of sin and for people to be able to approach and draw near to God. Eli's sons did not honor God as God, nor did they give him thanks. And they behaved in wicked ways towards others, enriching themselves on things meant for God, taking advantage of others, 
even being sexually active with the women and promiscuous with the women who were supposed to be serving the Lord. They even acted, later on we'll see this in another story, they even acted like they had control over God and his power when they appear, again, a story I'm going to read in a little bit, when they appear with the Ark of the Covenant in anticipation of a battle with the Philistines. They just didn't honor God. And things did not work out well for the sons of Eli. We do not want to be in the category of Eli's sons. Yet, if we are honest, I think we all at times act like this toward God. Do we ever fail to honor God as God or give him thanks? Do we ever not take God's demands for holiness seriously and approach things that he has called sacred with less than absolute reverence and fear? Do we ever carry on with our sin even while maintaining the appearance of being his people? Do we ever show up on a battlefield thinking we can somehow use God to our advantage? The sons of Eli simply failed to honor God as God or give him thanks. They misunderstood who God was and did not fear God or think that what God expected mattered. We need to avoid making that mistake. Now Eli. The story of Eli is actually quite sad. For, for one thing, he knew God. In a story you'll hear in a few minutes, which involves the Lord calling Samuel, Eli understood God in a way that reveals he was aware of God's presence and sovereignty. Eli even displayed some positive things in his acknowledgement of God's standards in his interactions with Hannah in chapter 1, or even in his scolding of his sons in, in chapter 2. But but Eli misunderstood something very important. He failed to grasp that God demanded unconditionally to be first. Eli placed his sons first by, according to verse 229, honoring his sons above God. Eli did not understand that no one, no obligation, not family, not anything, can be more important than God in your life, particularly if you are to be in his service, which we are. If Eli had understood this, he would have taken his sons to the city gate and had them stoned to death by the people of God. Instead, Eli put them, and for whatever reasons, before God by tolerating his son's behaviors. And it did not end well for Eli. Eli did not understand that God demands to be first in our lives, which means addressing and dealing with those things, whatever they are, that we allow to become more important than God. Now, Samuel's misunderstanding. Hear the word of the Lord. This comes from chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. 
Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel, and he said, Here I am. And Samuel ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But Eli said, I did not call. Lie down again. So he went and lay down. And the Lord called again, Samuel. And Samuel rose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call yet, my son. Lie down. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. And the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time, and he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant hears. The Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I'm about to do a thing in Israel, at which time the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. On that day I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end, and I declare to him that I will, I'm about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God, and he did not restrain them. Therefore, I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Pretty stern words. But did you, did you hear what it said about Samuel? I missed it the first few times. In verse 1, it says that Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli, the high priest, which means that Samuel was surrounded by all the religious symbols and systems associated with the sacrificial system, the ark, the songs, the vestments, the ephod, all that. Then in verse 7 it says, Now Samuel did not know the Lord. Samuel had been dedicated to the Lord, was participating in the heart of the worship of God. He was surrounded by all the systems and symbols of holy God, and he did not know God. A key part of Samuel's misunderstanding of God, which he eventually got over, which is why he was so used by God in so many ways, his misunderstanding was, at least at the beginning, he could not grasp that God was personal. Even while in the presence of the ark and serving in the sacrificial system and the organized worship, which had the goal of bringing people close to God, even while surrounded by all of that, and all the trappings of worship and vestments and ephods and smoke and incense, all intended to draw people to God. Samuel did not understand that God was actually real. 
was actually present and that God had actually chosen to interact with his creation. And it took Samuel a while to catch on. The idea that the voice which spoke to him was God's voice was so far removed from his mental framework that Samuel assumed the voice had to be that of Eli, even though I seriously doubt God was speaking in an Eli voice. Samuel simply could not wrap his mind around the fact that the God of all the stuff of our worship, all the stuff he was in the middle of, was actually personal and present. Do any of us suffer from this same misunderstanding of God? Not understanding that God is present and wants to interact with us and wants to speak to us. The primary ways that God speaks to us today are via his written word, via his Holy Spirit who dwells in us and guides us, and via the the fellowship of other believers, his church. And if we listen, that is actually a lot for us to take in. But we can still miss the fact that God wants to be personal and relational and present with us and in our lives. Perhaps it's because we are so busy with the stuff around us. But more likely, it is we've allowed ourselves to drift into Samuel's misunderstanding and and forget that God really is present and really does and will speak to us. Have you ever been there? I've been there. And the way that we break free of this misunderstanding is also given in the text. As Eli directed Samuel to do, we need to stop and say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. And then we need to truly listen and absorb what God says to us in his word, through his spirit, through the fellowship of the other believers. And just as it changed Samuel in a huge way, it will change us. Next, we have the misunderstanding of the Philistines. Again, here, here the word of the Lord. This is from chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. And, and the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Now Israel went out to battle against the Philistines. They encamped at Ebenezer, and the Philistines encamped at Apek. The Philistines drew up in a line against Israel, and when the battle spread, Israel was defeated before the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 men on the field of battle. And when the people came to the camp, the elders of Israel said, Why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? Let us bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord here from Shiloh, that it may come among us and save us from the power of our enemies." So the people sent to Shiloh and brought from there the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of Hosts, who is enthroned on the cherubim. And the two sons of of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the Ark of the Covenant. And as soon as the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came into the camp, 
All Israel gave a mighty shout so that the earth resounded. And when the Philistines heard the noise of the shouting, they said, What does this great shouting in the camp of the Hebrews mean? And when they learned that the ark of the Lord had come into the camp, the Philistines were afraid, for they said, A God has come into the camp. And they said, Woe to us, for nothing like this has happened before. Woe to us, who can deliver us from the power of these mighty gods? These are the gods who struck the Egyptians with every sort of plague in the wilderness. Take courage and be men, O Philistines, lest you become slaves to the Hebrews as they have been to you. Be men and fight. So the Philistines fought, and Israel was defeated, and they fled, every man to his home. And there was a great slaughter, for 30,000 foot soldiers of Israel fell, and the ark of God was captured. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, died. Immediately after this, Eli is informed of the defeat of Israel, the death of his two sons, and the capturing of the ark. And it is simply too much for Eli, and he, he literally falls over and dies. But then we get to the story of the Philistines dealing with the ark that they had captured. The Philistines' fundamental misunderstanding was that Yahweh was just another tribal god like other gods. They also too closely associated the ark with Yahweh. Again, as they did that with their idols and their gods. The first thing they did was they put the ark of Yahweh in the house of Dagon. When Dagon, the big idol of Dagon, kept falling over in front of the ark, eventually losing his hands and head, the, the Philistines got the point that they were dealing with something slightly more powerful than their Dagon. When God cursed them with boils and pestilence, they became so fearful of the God of the ark that they passed the ark around among their chief cities in a game of ark hot potato, thinking by changing the location of the ark, they could impact Yahweh's impact on them. When that plan didn't work, they decided to return the ark to Israel with the hope that the curses would go away with the ark. Ironically, the Philistines actually seemed to have more reverence towards Yahweh than the people of Israel did, certainly more than the priests did. However, they failed to understand that Yahweh was not just another tribal God, but that he was God Almighty. And ironically, they never came to understand that the God, that, that God Almighty was actually going to use those Israelites to bless the entire world, which included them. What the Philistines should have done, particularly when they concluded that Yahweh was greater than Dagon, particularly when they understood that this God, whoever he was, had power of life and death over them, what they should have done was abandon their false God and worshiped and served Yahweh. But they didn't. They could not let go of the thing they were familiar with, their God. 
Do we ever make that mistake? Finally, we have the misunderstandings of the people of Israel. And, and there were a bunch of them. For instance, they seemed to think that the ark itself was somehow what was important, rather than the one who chose to make his presence known there. We see this when the ark came into the camp with Eli's two sons, and the Israelites broke out into cheers that were so enthusiastic it freaked the Philistines out. The Israelites viewed the ark as a kind of a weapon that they could use to control God and guarantee their victory. What they should have done is fallen on their face in front of the symbol of the presence of the Most High Holy God. They should have repented of their sins and they should have pled with him for protection. Instead, they thought they could use him. And it didn't work out real well. But perhaps their, their biggest misunderstanding had to do with their failure to understand that God would not tolerate other gods in his people's lives. This misunderstanding was highlighted when Samuel called the people, people to repent. This is from Samuel uh, chapter th- 7, verses 3 and 4. And Samuel said to all the house of Israel, If you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, then put away the foreign gods and the asteros from among you and direct your heart to the Lord and serve him only, and he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So the people put away the Baals and asteros, and they served the Lord only. Again, I, I didn't immediately catch this, but... So they put away the Baals and Asteros. The people of Israel had been, we saw it in, in the beginning, our first reading. The people of Israel had been bothered by the behavior of Eli's sons who, who were not honoring God as God or giving him thanks. Yet the Israelites kept their Baals and their idols. The people of Israel watched as Eli was held accountable for his misunderstanding related to God's demand to be first. Yet the Israelites kept their Baals and their idols. The people of Israel actually saw the foolishness of the Philistines and their misunderstandings, treating Yahweh and his ark like he was some other tribal god. They knew different. Yet the people of Israel kept their Baals and their idols. The people of Israel also enthusiastically cheered when the ark, the sign of God's presence, came into their camp, knowing it was the symbol of God Almighty. Yet the people of Israel kept their Baals and their idols. The people of Israel even listened to Samuel the prophet when, he, when Samuel got it and started to lead them and to prophesy and made known to them that God was real and present and did speak to his people, yet the people of Israel still had their Baals and their idols. The people of Israel failed to understand that Yahweh would not tolerate sharing his throne with other gods. They simply did not understand that God wants more than sacrifices, which they were doing. 
God wanted more than enthusiasm, which was so great it freaked out the Philistines, that God wanted more than recognition of his power, which they, they kind of understood related to the ark. That God wanted more than statements that they would direct their hearts to God. God wanted them to have no other gods. That was the first commandment that he gave to Israel at Mount Sinai, and God meant it. Do we understand that? One thing we have discussed a number of times, and it should come up whenever we correctly handle the Old Testament, is that we are incredibly like the people of Israel. We, like they did, fail probably in all of these areas. And it is usually because of a misunderstanding of who God is. The fact is, understanding what or who we are dealing with changes us. It changes how we act and how we approach things. And an example, if I told you that someone was coming to your house for dinner tonight... You might clean your house a little and set out an extra plate and be curious. If I told you that Joe Biden or Donald Trump was coming to your house for dinner tonight, regardless of what you think of either of those men, you would behave differently. Understanding who or what you're dealing with makes a difference. We need to understand who God is. We need to understand that he is not some tribal God, not a God who can be controlled by us, not a God that doesn't care if we honor him or place others above him. Because if we really understood who God is and his holiness and his power and that he is present, we, we would not make the mistakes that Israel made. If we understood who God is, it would make a huge difference in our lives. So how do we do that? How can we have such a clear understanding of God that we will not fail to honor him as God and give him thanks? How can we understand God? How can we avoid letting other wrong ideas and misunderstandings of God creep in and cause us to behave like Israel behaved? The answer is, we need to look to Jesus. When we have our eyes on Jesus, we will see and we will understand God. Colossians 2.9 says that in Jesus, the fullness of God dwells. If you want to understand the fullness of God, look at Jesus. John 1.18 tells us that no one has ever seen God, but the Son has made him known. Jesus himself said, "If, if you've seen me, You've seen the Father. If we want to understand God, we need to look at Jesus. 
Certainly, we want to avoid the misunderstandings, for instance, the ones we encountered in today's text. But much better is to maintain a correct understanding of God. And that will happen as we focus on Jesus. Is God a meanie dictator who will zap us if we make a mistake? Look at Jesus. God is not like that. In fact, while we were yet sinners in rebellion against him, he chose to come and die for us that we might have life. Is God all-powerful? Well, Jesus controlled the weather, made food out of nothing, healed the sick, cast out demons, conquered death, walked on water, ascended to heaven, and, oh, he also created the entire universe. Does God look the other way when religious hypocrisy supersedes sincere worship? Well, look at Jesus. Look at his interaction with the Pharisees. And you're going to have the answer to that question. Is God one who forgives? Yes. Look at Jesus' interaction with Peter after Peter denied him three times. Yes, our God forgives. Is God one who does not care about us or gives up when we fail to understand him? Look at Jesus. Look at how he lamented over Jerusalem and how he longed to take them under his wings even after they had killed those he sent to tell them about himself. God understands. God cares deeply about us. Look at Jesus. Is God willing to allow all to get to heaven no matter what path they take? The answer is no. Look at Jesus. Listen to Jesus. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. If we want to understand God, what we need to do is focus on Jesus. In our text today, we saw a number of misunderstandings of God. We, we should learn from those examples. What would be better, though, and I really hope you take this away from this message, is that if you really want to understand and know God, the God that Samuel didn't understand, even surrounded by all the religious system God had put in place. If you want to understand, we need to do what Samuel did. We need to say, speak, Lord, your servant hears. And then we need to look to Jesus and listen to what he says. And we will understand God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you who are beyond comprehension have chosen to make yourself known to us in Jesus. We want to know you 
We want to keep our eyes on you. Help us do that. In Jesus' name, amen.